Dusty, what's the one book you can always find in our car when we're on a trip? Honestly, Mike, it is usually a Moon travel guide. That's right. Moon is our favorite travel guidebook publisher because not only are they a source for ethical travel and the best ways to get away, but their books also are packed full of information on everything from sites to see, trails to hike, restaurants, and lodging, all from real authors who are local to the areas they're writing about. That's right. And we're so excited that this year we are again partnering with Moon Travel Guides. Ready to cross something off your travel bucket list in 2024? Have a lot of great ideas for trips, but don't know how to get started or keep your itinerary organized? Wherever your wanderings might take you or inspire you to go, Moon Travel has you covered. Moon Travel is the travel guidebook publisher for ethical travel. Don't spend months trying to craft the perfect getaway when you can do it all with Moon. Whether you're headed abroad, planning to take to the open road, or want to wander the trails of a national park, make sure to pack a Moon Travel Guide with you. Through the end of 2024, our listeners can get 20% off any Moon Travel Guide when they use the code GAZE20 at checkout. That's amazing. And that is code GAZE24, G-A-Z-E-2-4 for 20% off any Moon travel guide in Moon's entire library. And that is just for our listeners, and you cannot find that anywhere else. Be sure to visit Moon.com. Head to our show notes and check it out and see Moon's entire collection of travel guidebooks. So tonight, for the specials, we have (laughs) this beautiful herb-rubbed salmon that was grown in captivity, but was treated so humanely with a side of the most magical beautiful green beans and strawberries that Mm -hmm. have been cooked together in an olive oil that was created here locally. Mm -hmm. Um, We are... uh, paying homage to a person that uh, we will never forget. No. Um, Her name is Carolina. Yes. But what's funny was her nickname was Dusty. Yes, it was. That was, I thought, hilarious. Mm -hmm. Um, And she was the manager of one of the places where we ate dinner at while we were in Cortez, Colorado. Yes. Or was was it the only place we ate while we were there? It was. We ate there both nights. Both nights. Yeah, that's right. We did. It was called Farm Bistro and it was great. They had like a little store in there too. And like it was set up like a rustic farmhouse. I thought the food was great and it was delicious. the food was delicious. And it was mostly, I would say, like fairly like organic, fresh leaning. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The point of Mm -hmm. the Farm Bistro was that it was all the ingredients that they got Mm -hmm. were from farms. Locally sourced. Most of the time, extremely locally Mm -hmm. sourced, or they had a personal relationship with the supplier or the farmer where they got whatever ingredient it was. Right. It was like the Rose Apothecary of Cortez. Kind of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But But especially for food. I Mm -hmm. mean, I guess they had other stuff too, because they had the gift store. Mm -hmm. I loved that place. Again, we ended up going there twice. Right. Mostly because the food was so good, but also Carolina. Carolina was so good. Literally could sell you the shirt that you were wearing. Yes. Yeah. No, I mean, she would come up and there would be the menu and then she would say what the specials were that weren't on the menu. And, I think I got the special every time right. because it was just so beautifully described. And she talked with her eyes. It oh, was a lot of did. eye she talking. She sold with her <laughs> eyes. Yes. And I just was like, what? 
I'm just so drawn to everything you're saying. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think, yes, I will order that. Right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> she was time. just like, and she could just entrance you basically yes. with, you know, this, her voice and her eyes. It and was like, also the food was delicious, delicious, mm-hmm. always lived up to exactly how it was right. described. And Carolina like had an interesting history because she was the manager of, I believe the lodge one Over, of the lodges at, at yes, Mesa Verde. Mesa Verde for a little while. Mm-hmm. So, right. yeah, she was, was like... great to get to know her. Yeah, she was like my daughter. She grew up there too, up at, like up at Mesa Verde because they had some, I guess, like dormitories yes. where basically anyone that worked up there would live too. She's like, yeah, she would catch the bus. I, I would drive her down to the bus stop and she'd take the bus down at the bottom of the mm-hmm. Mesa to school. And so it was really interesting to like hear her story and to hear that history too yes. of the lodge there. She was also really cool at Farm Bistro. We were, I think on our second night there, there was a gentleman that had a Hawaii Volcanoes mm-hmm. t-shirt on. And we were like, oh my God, we're, because in our timeline, mm-hmm. we were in Colorado before we were in Hawaii. Right. So we were like, oh my God, we need to talk to him because he knows this is back, you know, when you could like talk go, to people, <laughs> go to places, talk to people. Right. Right. Um, and so we spoke to him and we were like, Hey, you know, how was, how is Hawaii volcanoes? What should we do there? And he gave us some great tips. Yeah. And I think he'd been a bunch of times too. Yeah. And we were disappointed because that was the only t-shirt that was that there was when we went. That was literally the only t-shirt yeah. available. It was his t-shirt. Right. So it's fine. <laughs> It's fine. You didn't cry you at night about it. You have made some beautiful designs. Right. And hopefully soon some of those will be on a t-shirt. Right. But you didn't cry about it for like, you know, a whole day in Hawaii. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, not at all. Wow. Exaggeration station right. over mm-hmm. here. Hyperbole. Uh, uh. Looking for adventure, I want to follow on the trail Or get a little lost and let the wind fill my sails Get up when the stars still fill the sky, don't wake the sun There's so much to be done, and the day has just begun Go where the postcards are real, you can feel You can open your eyes, and open your heart when you get at the National Park. Follow you, I'll follow you there. At the National Park. At the National Park. Follow you, I'll follow you there. So, in our previous episode, we had hiked. The Petroglyph Trail, mm-hmm. which is was in the section of Mesa Verde that was open at the time that we were there. Chapin Mesa. Yes. Yeah. So do go listen to that episode because the Petroglyph Trail was so much fun. Yeah. And was so much more of like a an adventure than I thought it would be. Yes. I, I do feel like that, especially a lot of the times Petroglyph Trails can just be like a quick overlook or maybe just like a boardwalk. But mm-hmm. again, we hadn't experienced like Hawaii at this walk point. walk out to right. a thing, right. see a thing, and then come back. But we hadn't experienced Hawaii. And that, the Pu'uloa Trail was also a great 
Pedregal Trail because that was like ooh the mystery. Oh yeah, yeah. And this one was great because it was yeah. the loop. Yeah, and um, you know, at the very like sort of end of the loop was where all the petroglyphs were. Yes, the middle point of the loop. The middle basically. point. That's yeah. what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Petroglyph Trail is also right near Spruce Tree House, which unfortunately has been closed for some time because of rock falls that had happened. NPS has not opened it back up yet. So you can see it from afar, but you can't you used to be able to self guided tour up to it and like walk amongst and near the ruins. But that's no longer a possibility, unfortunately. Mesa Verde was the first national park to be preserved specifically for culture. Right. There are quite a few archaeological sites that are part of Mesa Verde that we were not able to see because it was closed or they were on the other side. Spruce Tree House was the one that we couldn't see because it was actually closed by the park. But the other side, Wetherill Mesa, was closed because of the the weather. But, I mean, it was technically. <laughs> right. But there are things that you could see yes. from the different spots. From viewing spots. Right. Like we saw Balcony House, which we we'll talk a little bit about. Balcony yep. House. Yep. There was also Long House yep. and Step House. Right. But on, they're on the weather on Mesa side. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we had some extra time here on this day before our Cliff Palace tour, um, which we spent some time in the museum. Mm-hmm. which we highly recommend yes. going to that museum. Mm-hmm. You learn a lot about the native people of Mesa Verde and also all of the artwork that was preserved from the native people, but also all the artwork that has also been produced by various resident artists of Mesa Verde. Right. And we, I definitely recommend the museum too, especially before you go to one of the archaeological sites, because it does give you a really good perspective on the history of Mesa Verde. And I think we've said it before in our previous episodes that the parks that we have visited have been really a lot of hiking parks. This is really the first park that we're seeing where the historical lilt is very important. And there aren't as many major hiking trails. The takeaway for me was the history and really seeing the, the archaeological sites and learning about the past and the people that inhabited that space. Not that that's not the takeaway in other parks, but I do feel like this is a space where that is the prominent thing. Mm -hmm. And you really should take as much time as you can to learn as much about it. And we had a fantastic guide, which we'll talk about in a little bit, that did illuminate more for us. But I think the museum is, is well curated and it gives a great perspective. And I think a lot of the conversation right now is that the rich history and culture of the people that lived in any of the spaces that the National Park Service preserves should be studied, acknowledged, and prioritized in the park's crafting of their educational experience. And so the possibility to learn about all of the various indigenous people that lived in any number of the NPS sites around America is something that we can all dive further into. And in some spots, like Mesa Verde, that's very present. Mm -hmm. And then in other spots, it's not. Right. And you need to do some of that research yourself. And And part of correcting the narrative about these beautiful spaces were just free and clear of people. And part of that is acknowledging all of the indigenous people that came prior to us, quote unquote, 
discovering this area of land. Right. So just like we do a native land acknowledgement at the beginning of each of our episodes, it may be a good idea for you to do just some cursory research to see what land you're headed to. That's not just for national parks. That's for any sort of land that you are visiting because that land was inhabited by people for thousands of years before it became a public space. It is worth doing that research for yourself and educating yourself because that education then only will work to educate others and bring to the forefront the stories of native and indigenous peoples that inhabited these spaces. So we finished up at the museum and then... We still had some time to kill. We did. Yeah. And so we got in the car and we just drove around sort of the different points down at the tip of this area. Yeah. This is basically, you're kind of at the apex of the road here. There's not really much more that you can drive. It's kind of looping your way back onto Mesa Top Road after. So you're kind of in this circle at the end. It's like a cul-de-sac, essentially, sort of. Yes. (laughs) Driving around this area, we were able to see a lot of the fire damage that had happened previously. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of burnt trees. It was... Fascinating to be able to see this fire damage. A lot of it was very much so in the past, and you could kind of see that things had started to regenerate in these areas, but there were still dead trees that were left, um, especially after being at Park Point Overlook, where you have that fire tower and you're able to see they have like mapped out where the fire damage was. And it just goes to show how fires have an impact on public lands, national parks, lands that many people inhabit. And that's something we're going to dive a little more into in an episode that's forthcoming, talking about fire management on public lands. This is something that we've seen, we've learned about not just at Mesa Verde. I think this is maybe the first time that we were kind of in an area where it was touched by fire damage and it was still visible that that was the case. Right around this time, we also, there's this tiny little trail that we did Mm -hmm. in order to go see Balcony House or the view for Balcony House. Only 1.2 miles, but that's like there and back. Yeah. A little over half a mile out to see Balcony House. And it's a matter of just like parking and getting out and getting on foot. It's called the Soda Canyon Overlook Trail. And this brings you to a place where you can see balcony house. Yeah, there's like three viewpoints that you can kind of see it from. So you're looking at it from above. It's not an archaeological site that you can get up close to. Um, So you can view it from above. That was interesting too, having seen Spruce Tree House earlier in the day, again from the distance, and now seeing Balcony House from the distance, but at a higher vantage point, we kind of knew that we were getting to be very close to Cliff Palace and I think now I was ready. Like having seen these two archaeological sites from afar, I was like, I'm very much so ready to be much closer. And for me, this, a lot of this at Mesa Verde was reminiscent to a trip that I took to Peru um, where I was in both Cusco and hiked to Machu Picchu and were, were able to be among the ruins and very, very close. So this was exciting for me because we hadn't done a park where there were archaeological sites before. But Not it was like this. very reminiscent for me um, of past trips that I had taken. So it was it's, it was cool and, and I knew that that was coming up very quickly. For us this day, Cliff Palace was the only one we would be able to tour and see up close. And with that, let's take our first break. We're playing the vault. 
Beautiful. All right. So we're going to come up. We're going to give each other something. We got to choose the select number of things. Mm-hmm. They stay in the vault forever. The rest is destroyed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can I go first? Go first. Great. The album Chromatica. You get to pick two songs to put in the <gasps> vault and the rest must go away. Oh, God. I know. <laughs> this was devilishly evil of me okay. because this album is all the things. If you haven't listened to it, you should because it okay. will give you joy. I am. I have to pull it up to look at the songs mm-hmm. so that I have an accurate uh, list mm-hmm. in front of me. Mm. <laughs> it's all so good. I know. I'm sorry. Okay. But I'm not. I can only pick two. Yeah. I can only pick two. Sorry. Damn you. Three makes it too easy. Three makes it too easy. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you where I'm struggling. Okay. Between Rain on Me, mm-hmm. Sour Candy, <laughs> Free Woman, and Sign from Above. I, I, those are mostly mine. So. Oh, okay, Although okay. Stupid Love is in there because I just want to dance. Stupid Love is great. Fun Tonight <laughs> is... Oh God, I love mm-hmm. that too. Sorry. Also the 911. <laughs> I know. Oh, it's terrible. I could do this with all of them. Also... Uh, Babble on An Babylon. Enig- Enigma is a great Enigma's song. Enigma is great. God. I know. Okay. I made this hard. All right. This is what I'm going to do. I have to keep Free Woman. Mm-hmm. I have to keep it. Yeah, I get it. And I have to keep Rain on Me. Okay. That's it. I would be keeping, I think, Sign from Above and, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and Stupid Love. So we have at least part of an album between the two of us. Between the two of us. <laughs> there right. we go. Sorry, right. that was hard for me too because I think I listened to that album all summer long just to give me joy and oh, now yes. I only have two songs. <laughs> only two songs. Great. What's your fault? I also have a music category. Oh, good. Here we go. Great. I want you to think about all of the hard copy CDs that you had in your younger past. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes, it's, I have to. You delve only deeply. get to keep two. Okay. Like, to are we talking about like like the music library of your n- nostalgia childhood or high school time? I also had like a CD or two that I got like you know in my mid twenties. I don't know what I was doing then. No, no, no. But sure. Is that okay? That's too? okay too. Great. But it has to be a hard CD. copy. Great. Ready? I'm I've ready. Got, you can only pick two. I okay. Ooh. I mean, I had some doozies. You know that oh, I had. The, I know. You know, I had the Chumbawamba album. Oh, I did and too. And the Andrew Lloyd Webber collection. Yes, <laughs> they were yellow. We're CDs. the same person. Bought him a Barnes and Noble. Mm. So I had Robin's Body Talk on CD, and yeah. that is going nowhere. Okay, so you're keeping that. I'm keeping Body Talk, and then I think I am also going to keep. I'm going to keep OK Computer by Radiohead. Oh, because very interesting. Yes. All right. Because that is like, you know, that is very reminiscent of like my high Great. school, like musical taste. Okay. For me, what a strange dichom- dichotomy. I am keeping Mariah Carey. Number one, mm-hmm. that album is literally just hits, hits, all hits, of her number hits, one hits, hits, right? <laughs> hits across the board. <laughs> right. And then the second one, I think I have to keep the, the, cats. the Rent cast album. <laughs> okay. I'm keeping that. Okay. So it's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, these are the choices we've made. Oh. Nope. 
<laughs> I already I'm getting rid of it. No, I'm getting rid of it, and I'm throwing in something else. Great. It's Christina Aguilera stripped. Oh, that album. That was a great album. <laughs> yep. Okay. So there we go. There we go. And that's the vault. Let's quickly talk about discovering places. Right. This is highly inaccurate, especially Mm -hmm. when we're talking about North America, because Mm -hmm. indigenous people have been here for millennia. Therefore, saying that it was discovered in this one time is really essentially saying that white colonizers discovered it at this time. Mm -hmm. When it comes to Mesa Verde, people have been living in Mesa Verde from about 550... A.C.E. to about 1200 A.C.E. And around 1200 was when the generation of indigenous people that were currently living there decided to leave that land and move on to other land. There are a few theories as to why people left. Some of them include intense drought or crop failures. There's also social uprising and also, you know, depletion of local resources. So the earliest of those ancestral Pueblo that lived in Mesa Verde didn't live in the structures that we see and know Mesa Verde to be. So Cliff Palace, uh, Balcony House, Spruce Tree House, those were not um, around or constructed at the time of the earliest people. They built what were called pit houses, and they were below ground structures, and they were often found on mesa tops or sometimes in the alcoves where you're seeing some of these constructed buildings that are still visible eventually basically evolve into what are known as kivas which are still visible in the sites of mesa verde and they're below ground structures which are also common in other spaces not just at mesa verde so around 750 ace that's when structures began to be built above ground they made walls and they were made with um, poles and mud and they were built right up against each other often there was like a pit house or two pit houses in the front and then there was there was the house that's a little closer to what you see today right. in mesa Verde. it's almost like you can it's interesting to, to think about it and to see the architectural history because it's like very clear from where they started, how the pit houses evolved into kivas and like how these structures then evolved into these like multi-generational, multi-room structures. You know, you can see a direct line, which is, is cool. It's, it's interesting to see the, the culture and the evolution of these people yes. throughout time. Eventually, basically what happens is there is a better understanding of architecture and stone structures start to come into play around 1000 ACE. And they eventually become two to three story structures. They sometimes included units of 50 or more uh, rooms. And much of this construction was not, again, in those alcoves that we're seeing in current uh, remaining buildings. A lot of it was above the ground, not necessarily on the mesa tops anymore either, because those spaces were used for farming, which became a major part of the diet of the people of Mesa Verde. The Pueblo people of Mesa Verde are known for their craftsmanship. Early on, they were known as basket weavers, and their baskets were used for carrying water, collecting grain, cooking. Later, this turned into pottery, And as pottery grew, basket weaving declined. Their pottery was intricately designed, and it was also passed down from mother to daughter. 
They used many different kinds of tools to create their pottery. And the tools were made from bone and stone and occasionally wood when it was available. When we get to what's known as the classic Pueblo period, which was sometime between 1150 ACE to 1300 ACE, we have thousands of people that are living at Mesa Verde. And they created these tight-knit communities, which were based around buildings, which were basically like multi-generational structures, having different generations of the family living in these spaces. Scientists understand that around 1225 ACE, people began moving back to the cliff alcoves that once housed their ancestors. From the late 1190s to the 1270s, those structures that are currently present and on view were constructed at Mesa Verde, and they were occupied for less than 100 years. Eventually, the Pueblo that lived at Mesa Verde migrated to the south into New Mexico and Arizona. They oftentimes settled among established communities that were there, but also sometimes established their own. Okay, so this is from the MPS website regarding the discovery of Mesa Verde by white colonizers. Quote, on December 18, 1888, two cowboys, Richard Wetherill and his brother-in-law, Charlie Mason, were riding across the Mesa Top looking for stray cattle at the edge of the Pinion and Juniper Forest near today's overlook at Sun Temple. They came upon a vast canyon. Through the blowing snow, they could distinguish something in the cliffs which looked like, as they called it, a magnificent city. These ranchers from the Mancos Valley may have been the first white men to see what they call Cliff Palace. After further exploration, they entered the dwelling and made a small collection of artifacts before leaving for the day. Made a small collection of artifacts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great use of euphemism there. Mm -hmm. Over the next pillaged. 18... Pillaged. Yes. Tomb Raider. Literally. Okay. Over the next 18 years, these same men, as well as various exploring parties and tourist groups, made expeditions into Mesa Verde, end quote. Oh. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is where I struggle, Mike. <laughs> I don't think you've actually ever said my name on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Never. <laughs> I think I'm always the one to be like, and I'm Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's where I think I struggle as well. And where we think about history museums and things that are on display from other cultures being basically ransacked from their homeland mm -hmm. and from spaces that were sacred and now are not in those spaces and not in the possession of those people or their ancestral um, descendants. So there yep. are a lot of problems. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. I mean, Mesa Verde isn't the only space where there oh. are problems by any oh, means. No, this is, no, this is one of systemic many mm -hmm. examples of this. Yep. Mesa Verde, the national park, was officially established in 1906 by Teddy Roosevelt. And it happened with the passage of the Antiquities Act, which allowed for the protection of, quote, the works of man, end quote. <laughs> yep not great and since there was no act in place prior to this much of the artifacts beauty richness that was present in Mesa Verde and its history were likely taken from there so yeah being able to view spaces like this in the way that they have been preserved since the time of the people that lived there 
is a privilege. Being able to go to Mesa Verde and being able to see these architectural landmarks that are still there after hundreds of years is a privilege. But it is not our right. These spaces belonged to people who for hundreds of years left their cultural impact on these spaces, who for hundreds of years called these spaces their home. So while we have the privilege to be able to visit these spaces, these spaces, just like any other natural space in the world, are not our spaces. And they are to be treated with reverence and respect. And that is something that obviously these early settlers, looters, what have you, clearly did not have a mindset for. And so in order to do better, we have to go to these spaces with that sort of respect and reverence in mind. And with that, let's take another break. It's time for Drag Corner. Please welcome to the stage, Anna Cation. On occasion. On occasion. I think that she only um, seldomly Appears. does uh, does her gigs. Mm, I feel that. You I know, feel like, like she's... she's not. She's never anywhere every mm-hmm. Saturday. She's okay. only. She's only here on occasion. <laughs> I feel like a very, um, very big like white rabbit vibe from uh, Alice in Wonderland. Really? Just because he's always late. There's oh. Oh, there's always cause for him to, you know, be See, worried. I feel like she's an apparition. Oh, and she only she's appears seldomly. Right. So now that we're in post spooky season and into harvest season. Right. Yeah. Right. She's our apparition queen. Apparition I think queen. she is. I think she is. <laughs> yeah. Maybe she. Yeah. I don't think she appears as a hologram uh-huh. or anything like oh, that. Okay. I just think she is like, um, Seldom seen. She's mercurial. Mercurial. <laughs> she is. Muriel Curial. <laughs> Muriel Curial. <laughs> that might be my drag, my new drag name. Muriel Curial. Muriel Curial. She is mercurial. Um, mer- theater. Mercurial. <laughs> mercurial. Um, um, I recently pointed out that Mike adds another R when he says the word theater. He theater. Says theater. See, I did it again. It just is what Wait, it is. one more time. Theater. Yeah, exactly. Theater. <laughs> Mercurial. <laughs> so you really um, love those multiple I R's. I do. Now. I like, I've got a good hard R. Um. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I think she is, visually speaking, mm-hmm. like she looks a little bit like Mrs. White from, that's the vibe oh, I get okay. from her. Like sort of like um, femme fatale. No. Mrs. Mrs. White? Mrs. White. Mrs. White is like, like a skirt and a or a dress that's like like formal looking and like but very form fitting and like I feel striking like red lipstick. Are we gonna fight if about that? That is more femme fatale. <laughs> okay, so if yeah. that's more femme fatale, yeah. What am I thinking? Mrs. Of? White is a little more um, formal and laced up and like I guess so, proper. Yeah, yeah. looking. <laughs> <laughs> now that he's dead, I have a life. <laughs> he wasn't a very good illusionist. <laughs> Um, but yeah. that was his job. Was <laughs> <laughs> um, join us on our other podcast where we talk about the movie Clue ad nauseum. Um, <laughs> all day, every day. All day, every day. I do feel like when she does appear, the door of the bar that she's appearing in will like blow open very cinematically and wind and leaves oh, will kind of come in. it's all like part of the act. Oh, it's all part of, and like a bright light she'll walk through. Yeah, I've, and it's never yeah. advertised. No, it's never advertised that she's no. there. No, she, she might just, she might interrupt somebody else's show. Right, 
I think with respect and oh, with, of course. Right, and right. people know about it. Yes. Right. I feel like her lip sync song would be Turn Back Time, mm-hmm. Time After Time. Right. Something yes. to do Something with time. Time, time related. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Turn Back Time is definitely a lip sync song. Yeah. 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 I think that that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe she has watches that she sells. <laughs> she's got merch. She's got merch, mm-hmm. but she only sells them when she's there. Mm. They're very, um, you know. Mercurial. Uh, mercurial. <laughs> was the, I didn't want to say it, but you said it. Muriel Curiel. Muriel Curiel. I feel like that's the drag sister that books her shows. Mm-hmm. Muriel. It's Muriel you know, Curiel. <laughs> Muriel called, so on occasion is coming. Muriel Curiel and on right. occasion. So join us in welcoming to the stage on occasion. To get to Cliff Palace, you end up in a very large parking lot that allows for a lot of tour buses to park and just parking in general. Cliff Palace, unfortunately, the entrance to Cliff Palace, because of some rock sliding and some falling rocks at one point, they basically have closed that entrance. At least when we were there, it was closed. This was explained to us when we bought our tickets. Typically, you would climb down one side. Mm -hmm. I think it's more gradual. I don't even think you climb. I think it's kind of like a winding path. Yeah, you get down, you go down on one Mm -hmm. side and then you see Cliff Palace and you walk across the path in front of it and then you exit up the other side. Mm Mm-hmm. But we had to go down the exit. We had Correct. to go in the exit and out the exit. There's a joke in there. Basically, we were told to meet. Our tour was at two. We needed to meet a little early. We also got to see like the size of the group, which wasn't terribly large. I would say it was like 20 people at the most, mm-hmm. which actually made for an intimate viewing experience. And it also made for a quiet experience. I One thing I definitely remember is... I do feel like everyone was very quiet and respectful, not only because they were listening to the guide as we were down at Cliff Palace, but I think just in general, that reverence was there. I'm also pretty sure our guide talked about that a lot before we went down. I liked our guide a lot. Mm -hmm. He'd been a tour guide there for, I believe he started as like a volunteer Mm -hmm. uh, at Mesa Verde for a long time. And then he... uh, became a tour guide. And I'm pretty sure he went to school for history. Like that was yeah, his major. He, has he, a, yeah. he had a master's in history or was working on his master's yes. in history specifically for that area. Mm-hmm. He is a descendant of ancestral Pueblo. He gave us so much perspective Yeah, on this tour. He talked about how um, the narrative for indigenous people had been written by white colonizers for such a long time. There's been a lot of work done to correctly tell the story, mm-hmm. accurately tell the story of indigenous people in their history. Mm-hmm. When we met with the group, he did spend a while to kind of talk us through just what to expect, how we were getting down. I think we also did like a round robin, where are you all from? Right. And like there were like, Three other people from New Jersey, and they literally lived the town over from me because Mm -hmm. that's the world we live in. Ain't it though? Yep. Small and crazy. So we did have like a long chat about everything, you know, just going down. Also remembering that the space was a space that people lived in um, and just visiting that space with respect when we were there. Descending was interesting because we literally, like we said, 
had to go down through the exits. Yeah. And we had to climb down ladders. Backwards. Backwards. Yeah. Yeah. And that brought us down to Cliff Palace level. Mm -hmm. If you take a look at the photos on the Instagram post for this episode, you'll see exactly sort of how Cliff Palace is laid out. Mm Mm-hmm. And while, no, you certainly are not allowed to, like, go all up inside everything. Right. You're allowed to you walk, walk pretty near close. it. You can yeah. walk pretty close to it. Mm-hmm. You can surround. There are multiple kivas, which you can surround and walk basically right up to. Yeah. yeah. But there's no, like, putting yourself inside of Mm-mm. anything. Any of the structures or anything like no, that. No, no, no. Our tour guide talked a lot about just exactly how Mesa Verde is and what we were looking at is all part of every step of the process when it came to why it was here today and why we were on that tour. Mm -hmm. How people lived there for hundreds and hundreds of years, when it was discovered by white colonizers, when it was preserved, what they did with the artifacts that were taken from Mm -hmm. the sites what they did after antiquities law was passed right what happened when they wanted to preserve it how it was able to be preserved the money it took to work on its preservation there's a lot in the history of mesa verde yes um a lot to unpack there's a lot to unpack Mesa Verde sort of provides a microcosm of how narratives get controlled, how money and access allows for narratives to be controlled. And so he talked a lot about that. Mm-hmm. He told us a lot. He would refer to different areas of the structure. Yes. And he would say, this is what this was used for. Mm-hmm. This is a place where you would store this type of food after you would gather it. Right. However, it was said for hundreds of years that this was used for this spiritual purpose. Mm -hmm. When there are things that are used for spiritual purpose, this is not one of them. Right. So in this moment, he did a lot of work to sort of give us examples of how when people don't get to tell their own stories. Yeah. What happens? Right. He also allowed for... He took a lot of time to answer questions. So, you know, we basically go down the exit. um, And he walked us after talking a little bit right when we're all... We all got down. He walked us to the other end where we would have entered had we come down that entrance. But it was closed. And he spent some time talking from that perspective of it, too. The alcove that Cliff Palace is in is actually not very long. It's the structures that are there are definitely incredible and impressive, but it's not, I would say it looked like Spruce Tree House looked like it was larger from perspective from farther away, but maybe not. But he did open up time for questions and people asked about water, where were water sources from? Did they hunt? What did they do with their garbage? I remember that being a question. And mm-hmm. I think, I'm pretty sure he said, so if you turn around from where Cliff Palace is, if you do an about face, there's kind of like a like a sloping ledge and a hill. And he's like, they would just throw it out there, basically. Right. <laughs> Which I thought was really interesting, too. Um, so he did, he did open the floor for us to be able to kind of learn a little bit more from his own knowledge that uh, were things that he didn't maybe typically tell groups. Right. Um, just only if you asked about them. I remember asking him all about, like, well, why... Why are these things named this? And why couldn't they be renamed? And he was like, oh, let's talk about how things get named. Yeah. And what a like 
process that is and what that means and when it happened, what it says about the time and the values when it did happen. He was like, yeah, it's always possible, but it's not necessarily something that happens all the time. You know, I think part of it, too, was like, well, it's had this family name forever. And then you're going to like then you have people that have that name that have a stake in the fact that, well, this is Weatherill Mesa, you know, that was also something that was brought up. And also money. Right. I mean, it does unfortunately come back to money a lot. I appreciated being able to be that close to Mm. these structures. And I really appreciated being able to hear about their use accurately. Just being able to see, and again, like with many cultures of the past, seeing the ingenuity, seeing the prowess and understanding of architecture. It's incredible to see how much people were able to do without the things that we have today and just being able to use the skills that they had to create incredibly beautiful and functional things. I think a lot of the times in our modern age, we forget (laughs) that, you know, there wasn't always electricity and, you know, there wasn't always candlelight sometimes you know there Mm -hmm. were things that were not available to people in these time periods and they were able to create these long lasting structures i mean these have been in place for over 800 years in some cases so it's there's something to say about that yeah you think about buildings today and things like that so i think viewing the from the architectural perspective it was it was really fascinating for me to be able to kind of look at that and see how how the structures were built but also the fact that they are a testament to how they were built and to add on to that the relationship to resources Mm -hmm. not just functional but also a resources value how resources treated Mm -hmm. how resources utilized Mm -hmm. how resources maintained and then sustained since this is one of the only episodes we've ever done that's not about a trail, mm-hmm. we will not be doing a Karen Stone scale today because no. there's no trail. Right. Right. Yeah. But let's do end this game with some Jeopardy style of trivia course. that we love always and forever. Yes. Okay, great. Why don't you start us off with your category, Mike? <laughs> okay, great. Well, I really struggled with this one because I was trying to do something that was crafty and creative mm-hmm. <laughs> and not about credit card points. Um, but this is called What's in a Name? Um, okay. So thinking a lot about naming in this episode and what specific names mean. So... So this is a category all about people's names and the not so great things that they might need. They might mean. Um, okay, great. So yeah. So Here strap we go. in. <laughs> While this name may ring bells of Massachusetts political dynasties and early MTV VJs, it in fact means misshapen head. Oh. Kennedy? That's correct. Oh, oh look at that. <laughs> that. I can't believe I figured that mm-hmm. out. Look at you. Kennedy. Kennedy. Okay. Mm-hmm. For 200. While Simon and Garfunkel may have sung of this irresistible heartbreaker who, when one of them got up to wash their face, someone had taken their place, perhaps the mix-up came because her name actually is associated with blindness. Is this Robinson? Mm-mm. No, no. Then I have no idea. It's a one-word name. No, Cecilia. Oh, you're breaking my heart. 
Nope. Tonight well, I guess you don't know your Simon and Garfunkel I canon. I definitely don't. No. <laughs> no. All right. For 200. Or, I'm sorry. For 300. Perhaps cartoonist Bill Watterson should have drawn one of his title characters in homage to this name, which means bald, or at the very least made his animal compatriot a bald eagle instead of a tiger. Oh, what is Garfield? Mm-mm. Well, I mean, that's who we're talking about, right? Mm-mm. We're not talking about Garfield? Mm-mm. Instead of a tiger. Oh, is it Hobbes? It's not Hobbes. Calvin. Calvin. Yes, Calvin means bald. Oh, but, oh, Calvin's the little kid, though. Yeah, I know. Right? I said perhaps you should have drawn him bald. Oh, I see. <laughs> you know or what? At the very least, Do you know what his... else means bald? Mike Ryan. <laughs> no, 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 no. Ballard does oh, mean bald head up. There we go. I know. Look at you. (laughs) All right. Um, For 400. Perhaps this English science fiction author and philosopher was was a victim of fatalism as his last name means inhospitable place, which could also be a nod to his most famous novel in which children are grown and separated into caste systems, which populate the world state. Oh, um... Think of like dark oh, science fiction. Is it Wells? It's not H.G. Wells. C.S. Lewis? J.R.R. No. Tolkien? No. No, who was that? So it's not Bradbury because he wrote Fahrenheit. Yeah. Who's the other? So we've got Orson Wells, we've got Bradbury. Who's our other heavy hitter from that time period? Atlas Shrugged? No. No, that's Anne Rand. That's, I know. So Brave New Worlds. Audulus Huxley. Oh, Huxley never is would how you I say would his have name. ever guessed I, that. This is why it's a Sorry $400 clue. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the last one I think you'll get. While the name of this protagonist in a Shakespearean work means pig, she is anything but. She is smart, witty, and a fan of puns and wordplay. Her marriage is bond by a task to three caskets with incredibly high stakes. Her marriage is what? Her marriage is bound. Sorry, I think I said bond. Say this, Her it. marriage is bound. Wait bon- a minute, start again. Sure. From the beginning? Yeah. Well, the name of this protagonist in a Shakespearean work means pig. She is anything but. She is smart, witty, and a fan of puns and wordplay. Her marriage is bound to a task of three caskets set by her father with incredibly high stakes. I thought this would have been a, a good well, one for you. Well, I'm trying to think of three caskets. I mean, there's, Which hold on, the there's si- the Merchant of Venice. Is it in the Merchant of Venice? Oh, okay, great. Then it is, oh, the quality of mercy is not strained. It's that character. And her name is, just a moment. That is the only time I can ever think of a woman <laughs> near caskets. Portia. There you go. That's it. There you go. And her father is Shylock. And that is what's in a name. There we go. There you go. We did pretty okay there. Beautiful. <laughs> All right. Are you ready for my category? I am. Mine, me. I was inspired by Cliff Palace. And this right. category is called Cliffs Around the World. Oh, great. I almost did a cal- category called Palace Intrigue, but I didn't. Oh, okay. Yeah. Here we go. Great. For 100. This is like Know Your Mountains. If sort you of. were standing on the edge of the Cliffs of Cornwall... Mm-hmm. And you were looking out, you would be looking over the water of this ocean. 
what is the Atlantic Ocean? That is correct. Because you're in England. That's right. There you go. Okay. For 200. Mm -hmm. If you were standing on any number of cliffs that overlook Eagle Lake and Jordan Pond, you would be in this national park. What's Acadia? (laughs) That's right. Okay. For 300. The White Cliffs of Dover, located in the town of Dover in the county Kent, are known for their white cliff faces and streaks of black flint and are located in this country. What is England? That is right. Right. Good job. (laughs) I was like, two English cliffs. Two English cliffs, I know. 400. It's the title of my novel. (laughs) (laughs) You met them both at the pub. That's right. While traveling through County Clare in Ireland, you may wish to stop at these famous seaside cliffs along with the other 1.5 million annual visitors. What are the cliffs of more? <laughs> of more, that's right. And, fi- and for 500. <laughs> and this is definitely for 500. Right. If you were going to visit the north rim of the Grand Canyon, mm-hmm. you would have to travel far up north and would inevitably pass this national monument named for its geological edges. What are the cliffs of the Navajo? Incorrect. What is the Vermilion Cliffs National Monument? It was the $500. Yeah, yeah. There was no clue about anything with color in there. That would (laughs) have helped me out. Because Vermilion's a color, folks. Mercurial. This has been Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast, and we're here to remind you to hike early and hike often, and that adventure is always out there. Gaze at the National Parks was created and is hosted by Dustin Ballard and Michael Ryan. To see images from this episode, follow our Instagram at Gaze at the National Parks. To contact us, email us at gazeatthenationalparks at gmail.com. And to find out more about Mesa Verde National Park and the other parks mentioned on this show, visit our website, gazeatthenationalparks.com. That's gaze, G-A-Z-E. All original artwork featured on Instagram and on our website is by Michael Ryan. All original music was written by Dave Seaman and performed by Dave Seaman, Mariella Klinger, and Sean Sklios. Our music producer is Skylar Fordgang. This episode was edited by Dustin Ballard. We would also like to acknowledge that while recording this episode, that we were on the traditional and stolen lands of the Lenape people, also known as Middlesex County, New Jersey. (laughs) 